Welcome to the weekly message from Rama Family Church. It is our hope that as you listen to this message, you will come to know Jesus better and be established in your faith and equipped for the work of the ministry. You can view the sermon notes and listen online at rama.org.au forward slash media. Father, I thank you for everyone who's come today in this service as we come and gather around your table. All of us expect to hear from you. We thank you that you're so faithful to give words that affect our lives when we do them. So help us to hear them, and then help us to do it. In Jesus' precious name, can you agree with me? Amen. Okay. Well, we are in um, a series here called Relentless Thieves. Relentless. Um, The first week we talked about fear and fear how it can show up in unsuspecting ways as well. Week two was unforgiveness. Week three was comparing. And week four was hastiness. I didn't really realize how hastiness could be a thief. That was very interesting. Uh, Thieves, the thieves we've been looking at have been um, maybe not real, real obvious robbers. There are thieves that are sneaky. I remember Tony, one time we had some guests when we were living in Rome, and we, uh, he was taking him into the city, and uh, they were going to do a bit of sightseeing, as you, of course, would do in Rome, and they were on a, a what do you call a subway, and uh, there was a little girl that bumped into him, and got her earring caught in his sweater. And so while she's trying to, to uh, while Tony's trying to unloosen the earring from his sweater for this, this young girl, uh, he didn't know it until he got off the subway that somebody was in his pocket and had very cleverly, and you gotta hand it to him, they've got skill. They actually got the cash off of the credit card that the cash was wrapped around, and, uh, and he didn't even know it. He was all involved with the earring and didn't even know he was being robbed. Clever. But the enemy, who is a thief, Jesus said, he is the one that comes to steal, kill, and, des- and to destroy. He's a thief. He's a robber. He's good at it. He's been doing it from the beginning. So there is sometimes he's robbing from us and we don't know it. He's robbing us. He set us up in some area, got us distracted, got us involved in something, and got us, got us to be uh, sitting ducks in an area and didn't know that well, we didn't even know that he was setting us up actually to rob us. So that's why we've been looking at these relentless thieves. They're certainly not all of them, but we wanted to expose, hey, let's be aware of these things. Let's shut him down and uh, not be robbed. So this week, we're going to look at another one. This one is the thief of whinging and self-pity. Yikes. The thief of whinging and self-pity. I have never, ever heard the word whinge until making Australia our home. (laughs) Never, ever heard that word. But when I heard it, as soon as I heard it, I said, that's a good word. (laughs) That absolutely, it sounds like what it is. It really does. It's a great word. So I've gotten my friends in America to start saying whinge. I had to ask, what is that? What does it sound like? It's a whinge. So when Tony and I were living in in, um, um, Rome, thank you, I looked at him, he's where, where, where in the world? (laughs) We would go sometimes with, with guests, not just into the city, but probably about an hour out up into the mountains was a castle, a Bracciano castle. It was the location... Uh, as far as trivia is concerned, it was the location for Tom Cruise's first wedding. Okay, but anyway, it was a beautiful, beautiful castle. 
but it had a little bit of a flair and a little bit of a story to it. There was the, the, the lady of the castle, her husband would be away for a while, and she would have visitors. And there was a, a, a door to her room that she would have people leave, the, the, her guests leave, because she would say, you know, she didn't want them to, to leave to be seen by everybody. And so uh, she would say, I need you to go out this door. And they would. It would be at night. They would, unsuspecting that there was no floor to, the, to where they were stepping into. And they would, every one of them, fall to their death. And it hasn't been a great day in church today. <laughs> an awful story, but anyway, okay, going to make this as terrible as it is. Because this trap door, uh, if they would have just not gone through the door, their life could have been spared, but that trap door they thought was a way of escape or a, 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 a legitimate uh, way to go from one place to another, and they didn't know that actually... It was not going to be that. Now, there are two dreadful outcomes to whinging and self-pity. Two dreadful, there could be more, but we're going to look at two today. Two dreadful outcomes to whinging and self-pity. Uh, if you'll look at this picture, I want you to see that the first one is that it is a trap door to depression. Whinging and self-pity is a trapdoor that will lead you down, all right? No one wants depression. Depression is a place of dark isolation, despair, hopelessness, even have people deal with suicidal thoughts. Horrible place. No one signs up for depression. But the door that plunges you into it, people sign up for that all the time. All right? So, depression. If you deal with the door, you'll never have to deal with the spiral. I'm going to say it again. If you deal with the door, you'll never have to deal with the spiral. Let me say it a different way. If you deal with whinging and complaining, you won't have to deal with the spiral. I realize that sometimes there's, there's an ebb and flow of hormones or other kinds of physical, uh, uh, physical um, influences to these kind of things. But it always, always the trapdoor is in the head is in the mind. And so if we can manage the door, we won't have to manage the horrible descent down into a place that doesn't ever feel like you'll get out of. I don't know if you've ever dealt with depression or not, or known somebody who did, but it is sure not a picnic. It's horrible. It's terrible. So we're going to look at the door. We're going to look at it really good today, all right? We're going to put a bright light on it. The devil's not going, to, not going to lure us in and steal from us in this, through this door. The second dreadful outcome is this. Whinging and self-pity is out to, to get you to define yourself as a victim instead of a victor and cause you to forfeit your destiny. You actually sign over your destiny. Okay, let's look at definition of a victim. A victim is a person who suffers from a destructive or injurious action or agency. A person who is deceived or cheated as by his or her own emotions. I got this out of the dictionary. And ignorance or by the dishonesty of others, or by some impersonal agency, okay, a victim. A victor, well, let's just look at this last, uh, this last word up here. Did I, if you'll go back to, basically, a victim is somebody who loses, who loses. 
All right? So let's contrast it with victor. A victor is a winner in a contest, one who gets the better of another in any struggle. Mm -hmm. One who defeats an enemy in a battle, a vanquisher, a conqueror, or a, let's say it together, a winner. A winner. All right. Now, here's the deal. 2 Corinthians, the second chapter in verse 14, says about us. Now, thanks be to God who sometimes makes me triumph. Because, you know, in life you win a few and you lose a few. Sometimes we quote sayings and we embrace them like, like the Bible. But nowhere does it say that we win a few and lose a few. This verse of scripture says, and I underlined it, made it bold, and put it all in caps so we could really get it. So can we shout this word always? Always. Once again. One, one more time, okay? Always. How often does he cause us to triumph? It says he always, now it doesn't say that you are without challenge. It doesn't say that there is not a struggle sometime. It doesn't mean that there is not a trial that comes. It doesn't mean that there isn't a threat that comes. But what it does say is he causes you to triumph. If there is not a challenge, if there isn't a struggle, if there isn't a, tri a trial, then there is nothing to triumph over. But when there is something, we have it from God's mouth. He causes us to triumph. How often? Always causes us to triumph. All right. So now, looking back at this, what the devil will try to do is get you to define yourself contrary against what God says you are. God calls you a, a, someone who triumphs and always triumphs. In another verse, he, he calls you more than a conqueror. And so what the devil will get you to do is actually define yourself differently than God. So um, we're going to look at some examples from the Bible. We're going to do a little bit of reading. Are we up for it? We're going to go to the Bible, go to Exodus, the second chapter, and verse 23. Years pass. Now, we're talking about the children of Israel. Um, only they're not, uh, they're not in Israel yet. They're the Hebrew children. They're in slavery and have been for generations and generations in Egypt they are the slave labor of Egypt. Okay, years passed, and the king of Egypt died. But the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. Remember, we're talking about whinging and self-pity, okay? But the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help, and their cry rose up to God. Next verse. God heard their groanings, and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now go to Exodus, the third chapter, and verse 7. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. Verse 9, look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. So as a result of what God heard, the cries, the groanings from the Hebrew children under slavery, under oppression, God sent Moses to be the deliverer. You have to know, though, when God sent him to deliver the Hebrew children, the Hebrew children didn't have the relationship with him that they would have 
years later, uh, they would have later as a result of, of temple worship and what they got for the tabernacle, the Ten Commandments, all of that. They didn't have any of that. They had been under slavery, under bondage for generations. They did not have a relationship with God. They had forgotten the covenant. They had forgotten the promise. They did not know God, all right? They had no experience with God. And so Moses goes back, and you know what happened in the, in the process of getting the children of, of Egypt, or his children of Israel, out of Egypt. There were 10 <laughs> astonishing plagues that involved nature, that nothing could have been arranged by a human army or another leader or something like that. It was completely amazing, supernatural. What the Hebrew children saw was God show off for them. He could do whatever he needed to do to get them out of Egypt. They were a part of the infrastructure of Egypt. Egypt was grandiose, uh, architectural, but it was built by the Hebrew slaves. They needed the Hebrew slaves, and so to get them out took some effort, but it happened. So... Now, uh, they're standing in front of the Red Sea, out. And this is what they say. After they've seen this huge display of the might of God, this is what they say in Exodus 14. They said to Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this was going to happen while we were in, still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. So, okay, note right away the sarcasm that's in self-pity, in whinging. A lot of sarcasm happening right there. They are fresh out of seeing God display all kind of stuff, and these people are at it. They're whinging. All right, so what? There is sarcasm involved. Also, whinging and self-pity paints a picture of hopelessness, either in the mind or verbally. Even if it's, in, even if it's just verbally, it also is pictured in the mind. Pictured it, tossing out their hopeless. Oh, this is crazy. This is, this is good for nothing. This is terrible. Declaring, listen to this, declaring the future of losing. Declaring it. We are a victim. This is terrible. I'm a victim. It's your fault. You know what God did then? He split the Red Sea. He split the Red Sea. And, you know, we just say that that's a sentence. He split the Red Sea. But to have been there and to see the actual miracle of it, that they walked through a sea on dry ground with sea on one side, sea on the other side, they walked through unscathed to the other side. They also saw the Egyptian army start chasing after them and the sea on either side of them close in on their enemies and they saw their enemies no more. All right? So he splits the Red Sea. At the end of this chapter, chapter uh, 14, at the end of the chapter, they're filled with awe. We're not going to go into all the verses, but they're filled with awe and amazement and praise. And, and the, the last part of the chapter says, they put their trust in God. It's very, very wonderful. The next chapter, they start singing. And, you know, I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider is thrown into the sea and, and gave us something to make a song out of. And, 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 and they were praising God for his power and his might. Halfway through chapter 15, they're complaining about the water. Because they came on some water, it was, it was bitter, 
And, uh, and they, the Bible says they turned on Moses and they turned on God. All right? At that time, then, uh, God said to put a tree in the water and it would become sweet, and it did. Let's go to the next chapter. Next chapter, they got hungry. Exodus 16 and verse 2, there too the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. Verse 3, if only God had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. And now you've brought us into the wilderness to starve all of us. Well, you know that was Moses' intention from the beginning. When he did, he lifted the rod, you know, and did all the miracles. He stood before Pharaoh. You know his intention was to get him into the wilderness and starve him. It was a plot. Well, you know, what happened then is that God sent manna from heaven every day. Well, what next? What, what happened next? Numbers, the 11th chapter and verse 14, they didn't like the food that came. They didn't like the menu. Then the foreign rabble, and you have to know there were some Egyptians that came out with the children of Israel when they escaped from some of, uh, uh, some of the Egyptians came out with them and were traveling along with them. Then the foreign rabble who were traveling with the Israelites began to crave the good things of Egypt. And the people of Israel also began to complain. Uh, the, the world we live in, the vocabulary, I don't care what language it is, but the vocabulary within that language includes well-developed art of whinging. Don't care what language it's in, that, that the people of that language have learned to dish it out with that little, that little of sarcasm, fatalistic, proclaiming death and doom at the end of a situation. All right? And, uh, but the Israelites, um, sometimes in being around other people that complain, have you ever been around complainers and it just seemed like, yeah, you just, to fit into the conversation, not be the fish that's going the opposite direction in the stream. It's just like, ah, oh, it's horrible. And pretty soon you go, yeah. <laughs> anyway, they began to complain. Oh, for some meat, they exclaimed. Next verse, we remember the fish we used to eat for free. Remember, they were slaves. We used to eat for free in Egypt. They did. They were probably catching fish. But they for, the, the details of their existence in Egypt got forgotten. We had all the cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlic, and we had bad breath altogether. But now our appetites are gone. All we ever see is this manna. It's, you know, like falling from the sky. What whinging and, and complaining can do, whinging and self-pity can do, is even blind you to God-given, in-your-face blessings. It's not the way I like it. It's the same blessing as yesterday. Anyways, Numbers 11 and verse 10, let's, let's read this. Mer Moses heard all the family standing in their doorways of their tents whining, and the Lord became extremely angry. Moses also was very aggravated. Why was God angry? Because when they first cried out and complained and groaned, they they didn't even know God. They knew no promise. They had no experience. They didn't know that God could do what all God could do. They didn't have any experience with him. Now they do. Now they do. And they will not give up the insatiable urge to whinge and complain on any negative thing that came up about themselves or their surrounding. Let's keep doing they do have 
experience with God now. Look at verse 18. Moses was to say to the people, purify yourselves, for tomorrow you will have meat to eat. You were whining, and the Lord heard you when you cried. Oh, for some meat. We were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat, and you will have to eat it. Verse 20, you will eat it for a whole month until you gag and are sick of it. The King James Version says, until it comes out your nose. You're going to eat meat. You want meat? You're going to eat it. And you're going to eat it every day until it comes out your nose. So, for you have rejected the Lord who is here among you, and you have whined to him, saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? So God's destiny, guys, listen, God's destiny for these folks were to be conquerors. God's destiny was not for them to be a slave. God's destiny was for them to conquer, to be a mighty nation that the Savior of the world would come through. God, God ordained, destined for them. But they complained for their right to be a slave, insisting on their... They were crying when they were slaves. When they got out, they cried because they wanted to go back and be a slave. Sometimes it's easier just to be defeated. Have you ever just thought, ah, just leave me alone and let me be defeated? Because, um, yeah, being out of Egypt is a whole different reality than being in Egypt. Okay, let's just keep going. Well... They complained for their right to be slaves, victims, losers. What did God do? Not because they complained, but because of God's purpose and destiny on their life, he kept helping them. Kept helping them. And he sent quail. He brought a whole flock of quail close to the ground where they could catch him. They caught so many of them, and they ate them. Verse 17, what happened next? Well, so once more the people complained against Moses, give us water to drink, they demanded. Quiet, Moses replied. Why are you complaining against me, and why are you testing the Lord? Verse 3, but tormented by thirst, they continued to argue with Moses, why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us? Now, what, what happens with self-pity and whinging is you have to keep amping up the words for more impact. So he's doing it here. He's saying, are you trying to kill us? He's already said that. They've already said that. But now he's saying, and our children. So now Moses doesn't have just a, a plot to kill them, but he's got a plot to kill the kids. And our livestock with thirst. Now, out of this story comes another miraculous intervention from God, merciful intervention. And it was when Moses said, or God told Moses, go and take your rod and hit the rock. Remember that glorious story? And what happened? Water came out of a rock. Can we just pause and be thankful for the mercy of God? <laughs> Sometimes the blessings that come aren't because of something we've done right. It's because God is bent on you fulfilling his purpose for your life. And sometimes when we're fighting for the right to not have God's best, somebody's praying somewhere and God is saying, I'm still coming after you. Aren't you glad God came after you when you weren't even responding right to him? Well, Moses struck the rock and, ro and the water came out of it. Chapter 17 and verse 7, Exodus, Moses named the place Massa, which means test, and Meribah, which means arguing, because the people of Israel argued with Moses and tested the Lord by saying, look at these next words, is the Lord here with us or not? Now these words, hoo, 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 
These words get quoted and referred to in Hebrews 3 and Hebrews 4. When the, when the Holy Spirit, through that writer, said that they hardened their hearts. Whinging makes you harden. Now listen. Against God, who is determined to make you everything that he's ordained for you to be, whinging hardens us against him. Eventually, these, these, uh, these Hebrew children were in God's face, even doubting his presence. With a cloud by day, a fire by night, and they're still doubting because they don't have the, the diet they want or because of difficult situations. And difficult situations speak to us. Difficult situations, difficult challenges even within our own lives. Not even just around us, even things that maybe it's a physical thing in your body or something within your soul or your emotions or, or finances or something. They speak to you about you. They'll call you a loser. But they don't just stop there. They start poking at the faithfulness of God, the presence of God, all right? And they're designed to do that. The devil is brilliant at doing that. Okay? With every challenge. With every single challenge that they, the children of Israel went through, or the Hebrew children as they were coming through the wilderness, uh, they developed, uh, they became highly skilled at complaining and identifying themselves as losers, pathetic victims, and declaring a bad future. The worst thing is, is that uh, they were going to fight their own destiny with this same art. And their destiny was to come into the land of Canaan and to conquer and to be at home in that land. That was their home. Since years before, when great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather Abraham put his feet all over that land because God told him to and said, this is your land. And now here these Hebrew children are there. They've come right up to the land of Canaan that God even got them together as a nation to live in this land, got them out of Egypt, not just to get them out of Egypt, but to get them into the land of, of, of promise, into the land of Canaan, into the land of their destiny. God doesn't just save people to get them out of the kingdom of darkness. He gets you out of the kingdom of darkness because he's got a plan for your life, a destiny for your life. And the only way you can live that destiny for your life is to get out of Egypt. But some people get out of Egypt and fight the rest of their life to get back or to, to live as slaves outside of Egypt. It's not your destiny. That's not who you are. You're a child of the living God. Say, I'm a child of God. God has a plan for me. So here they are. They've come up to the very reason God got them out of Egypt. Numbers 13, verse 27. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent to us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey, because that was the promise. God was going to bring them to a land of milk and honey. Here's the kind of fruit it produces. Okay, Numbers 13 and verse 28. But, but, even though... It was true. It, what God said was true. It is a land of milk and honey. It's nice. But the people living there are powerful. Their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Verse 30, but Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. He said, let us go in at once and take the land. He said, we will certainly conquer it. Why? Wasn't he seeing the same thing the other ten were seeing? No, he was seeing the same thing. He was seeing exactly the same thing. 
but he talked different about it. But the other men who explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. Self-pity right there. Next verse. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought, too. So they were doing a lot of this comparing thing that Tony was uh, brought out as a thief, doing this comparing thing and seeing yourself um, according to somebody else and next up to somebody else. Look at what happened as a result. Then the whole community began weeping aloud and they cried all night. They're spiraling. Mm. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only... Here they are again. Here they are again. If we had only died in Egypt, here, even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us? Listen how they start prophesying their future, prophesying and proclaiming a dreadful, pathetic end for themselves. Why is he taking us to this country only for us to die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it have been better for us to return to Egypt? So these fatalistic proclamations and, and picturing the worst for more impact in the words that are being said. Verse 14, God has told Moses something to say. Now tell them this, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very things you, I heard you say. Have it your way. You want it so bad. You've been fighting for it. But it's not my way. It's not my way. But you're going to have it your way. You've been saying it. It's going to happen. You will all drop dead in the wilderness because you complained against me. I think it's interesting you dropped dead in the wilderness, not because you danced around a gold calf. Not because the uh, uh, heaps of you committed fornication in the wilderness. Not did all kind of weird and stupid stuff. The reason they stayed in the wilderness is they couldn't turn the tap off on the complaining and whinging and the self-pity. All right? You will not enter and occupy the land. Now, this makes you want to cry right here. The land I swore to give to you. I hope that hits us all like a sledgehammer. God is mighty. He is amazing. He is omnipotent. He is sovereign. But there is somebody that can stop the very hand and the heart and the will of God, and that is us. Not going to have it. I know your will for me is good. I know the thoughts and the plans that I have for you says, God, they're good. They're not evil to give you an expected end. But I'm not having it. Because it doesn't look like good things are happening around me. Because I'm so incapable of having it. God knows everything that will ever happen around any of our lives. God also knows everything that is incapable in any of us. And I tell you, with tears, I locate incapable things in myself. All of us have them. All of us have gaps and, and craters in our life. But those gaps and craters are containers for the grace of God and for him to be glorified in our life. Can you say amen? amen? So, God's destiny actually is going to require that you conquer. God's, God will do wonderful things in your life as a result of other people praying and also his mercy in leading you out the reason why God did any of those things in the wilderness for the children of Israel isn't, isn't as a reward to their complaining. But the destiny of your life cannot be given to you 
or you can't acquire it through complaining or through whinging or self-pity. Cannot. You have to conquer. You have to win. You have to triumph. Because the devil doesn't want you to have God's destiny for your life. You'll have to win. And so God causes you to win. So, uh, complaining versus reigning. <laughs> and the Lord told me that one time. He said, you can have it one way, but you can't have it both ways. You'll have to decide whichever way it's going to be. Which way is it going to be? If you're going to complain, it'll be one way. But the mouth that is needed to reign is also the mouth that complains. He told me, he said, when you're, when you're finished with complaining, uh, we can get on to reigning. Well, I wasn't completely finished on complaining. Have you ever just wanted to say one more thing? <laughs> I have. And then one thing reminds you of another. Can I just say one more thing? And I'm just remembering there's something else. So, well, whenever you're finished with that, we, we, we can get on to, to reigning. They couldn't go in. They actually end up, those complainers ended up dying. They died complaining in the wilderness. Their children did get to go in. Now, I'm going to just read through some of these things I was thinking of, because that, that, this is a great story, uh, and I think we can make it practical. I mean, we've seen ourselves in it, and I, I, I hope that we weren't thinking of somebody else. This message really wasn't for somebody else. It's actually for every one of us. Um, sometime whinging and complaining has, has been something that has been developed at an, a young age to get attention and to get love. They, these are all really real reasons if somebody cries or complains loud enough to get some attention. Or mm. uh, affirmation. Or a cry or whinge long, long enough and you get some action. Um, with words like this, you don't care about me. You think I'm ugly. Or accusing others. Uh, or accusing even yourself. Saying, I'm such an idiot. I'm useless. Why? Watch out if why comes up in your conversation a whole lot. If it isn't actually a true question where you're actually wanting the answer. If things are like, why, oh, why? <laughs> How do you think I know these things? <laughs> also, watch out with the always and nevers. The always, this always happens to me. Doesn't matter where I work, this always happens to me. Doesn't matter where I go, friends, people never treat, always, never. Why does this always, seems like I do all the calling and no one ever, ever calls me. So it, it's like a proclamation, it, it's a future um, declaration of what will always be that paints it into this hopelessness. I'm never going to get out of this mess. I never do anything right. So self-pity then, or I mean sympathy for, for, for that, actually becomes the food for it. Any kind, of, any kind of helping or propping actually becomes the food for it. And what ends up happening is that if, if there is attention ever given, it's not good attention. And it doesn't build respect into the relationship. You really don't want anybody to feel pathetic about you or sorry, do we? It also becomes an addiction. Ad an addiction for this kind of attention. 
Okay, how, how many of you are ready to beat the thief? We've all sorted ourselves. We've all identified these ugly, ugly things that come out of our mouths. Let's beat this thief. The first one is identify complaining and self-pity as a thief and an enemy. Work on not so much identifying it in somebody else. Identify it in it coming out you. Now, I, I worked really hard on watching the words that come out of my mouth in front of people. I found my, I'm just being honest, my whinging uh, would happen when I was by myself. And I would talk to myself. Please, somebody in here make me feel better about myself. I could somehow control it in, other, in front of other people, but I, I found myself saying like the always and nevers and, oh, brother, the eye-rolling thing by myself. Sometimes I wouldn't even say it. I thought it. Anybody else? You, you kept your mouth closed, but it was there. And even though no one heard a word coming out your mouth, inside your head you're going, wah, crying. Okay, so identify complaining and self-pity as a thief and an enemy. Not somebody, not, you know, uh, yourself. Identify it. Uh, refuse to respond to people in situations with complaining and self-pity. Refuse. The other night, I think I mentioned it, the other night I was, I took, I was doing a walk and um, it wasn't a horrible whinge, it was a whinge. It had just a bit of a whine in the, in the voice. I was talking to the Lord and I heard it. Out loud, I can take you where I was on the street in our neighborhood, out loud I said, stop it. That's enough of that. Okay. Number three, don't swallow it. Don't just say it, but don't even swallow it. Sometimes, sometimes swallowed self-pity is more toxic in your body. I mean, when you tell it to somebody else, it pollutes everybody. And you too, because you eat your own words. But if you just swallow it and don't let it, you know, well, just, I'll just keep it in. Don't just keep, don't just swallow it. You're going to have to get it, get rid of it. Spit it out. Spit it out. Mothers, did you ever with your child, you found that they put something awful in their mouth? And you put your hand under their mouth and you say, spit it out, spit it out, spit it out. I believe the Holy Spirit this morning has his hand under all of our chins and he's saying, spit it out, spit it out. Get it out. Get it out. Don't declare it to other people. Don't proclaim it over your life. Give it out. Get it out. Where, where's a safe place to give it out? Give it to God. 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. Cast it over on him. A genuine care, genuine concern. Get it over on him. All right? He helps you sort between cares, concerns, complaining, and whinging. Okay? He, he helps it all sort. So work it out with him. Number five, look for things to be thankful for. Rejoice. So Paul said at the end of his race, at the end of his life, I have finished my, my course, I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. The devil wants your faith, your trust in God. He'll badger you about you, he'll badger you about other people, badger you about circumstances, trying to get your faith, your trust in God. Don't give it. So, what do you do instead? Look for things to be thankful for. Recount those things that you're thankful for. Keep track of the... Th has the devil ever helped you keep track of the things to be, to be sad about? I mean, you can almost number them. 
It's so clear and so definite. How about if we swap it and be that clear and definite about the things that we're going to be thankful for? They're there. So we hold fast that which is good. Look for the things to be thankful for. Paul finished his course, but he didn't do it just because everybody was on his side and helping him cross over to the other side, just because he had so much going for him. And Paul, woo-hoo, he finished his course. No, everything was against Paul. Everything was against him. But one thing he, he said, the whole, the whole letter of the to the book of, or to the church in Philippi was written from a Roman prison, a stinky sewage in the bottom of that prison. He wrote a letter that said, rejoice in the Lord always. And I'm telling you what, again, I say rejoice, rejoice always, rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. If he hadn't kept rejoicing, he wouldn't have finished his course. If we don't use our mouth for rejoicing, it's going to default into what Every human is capable of doing, and that's the whinge. Verse 6, I mean, number 6, see yourself and speak of yourself as a victor and not a victim. Bless the Lord. If the worship team can come. Say, say this after me. God has made me a victor. Uh, don't, don't make that conclusion based upon how that everything is peaches and cream in your life. We make that conclusion because the word of the Lord is conclusive. If God said it, that's the way it is. Hallelujah. So let's say it again. God has made me to be a victor. He has delivered me from being a victim. He has delivered me and my feet from falling and my eyes from tears. And I will live and walk in victory in Jesus' name. Praise the name of the Lord. Thanks for listening. We're always encouraged to hear how God is using this ministry to change lives. If you have a story you would like to share about how God is working in your life, please let us know and send us an email at church at If you would like more information or resources on this or other topics, or if you would like to sow into this ministry financially to help us share messages just like this one each week, please visit our website at rhema.org.au.